0: What's going on, all you good people out there? I hope everybody had a fantastic, fantastic week. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. This is Unrestricted. And my guest this week on Unrestricted uh, is somebody that I found on social media because of, you know, how social media is. They, They kind of populate things that you'd be interested in and... And uh, I like health and wellness, and specifically, I'm very interested in in gut health and and how we treat our gut and what we put in our body and how it affects our overall health. Because of my experience with uh, some autoimmune issues and some food sensitivity stuff, um, I follow those people. Eh, I'm, I'm curious about it. So I found Sarah K. Hoffman. And Sarah K. Hoffman is a certified holistic health coach, got her certification from the Institute of Integrative Medicine uh, out in San Francisco, California. She is a gut health expert, and she is helping people all over the world uh, get get diagnosed, find help, get advice, get uh, cooking advice, um, basically anything health and wellness related that has to deal with your gut. She is all over it. You can find her at a gutsygirl.com and all of her social media handles, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest. Same handle, a gutsy girl. And she has a, uh, a very important message to get out there a tremendous story about her own life journey and how she figured out all the things that affected her from her freshman year of college on a 10 year long plus over a decade of health issues. All related to what she finds out in the end is extremely, extremely poor gut health. And her body was screaming at her in, in various ways to fix your gut and I will fix you. Um, and we're talking about infertility. We're talking about um you know, f- skin issues, gut issues, um, rectal issues. She's very brave to kind of talk about things that most women and most females don't want to talk about because it's uh, it's so vulnerable and it's so open. But uh, we also talk about what we can do for our kids to be proactive, uh, to to fix their gut if they have gut issues, to to put them on a path where. Hopefully in the future they don't have gut issues. We talk about the role of antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, alcohol and caffeine uh, and coffee, and acids. Uh, she also has some quick little hacks that you can do at home, some supplements that you can take to just even if you feel a little off, you don't have a diagnosed uh, issue. There are some things that you can take and incorporate in your, uh, in your everyday life. To really help out your gut and your overall health. So, I hope you guys really enjoy this podcast with Sarah K. Hoffman. You can find her at a gutsy girl and at gutsygirl.com. So, here she is, Sarah K. Hoffman on Unrestricted. Well, hi, Sarah K. Hoffman. How are you? I'm great, Ben Lieber. How are you? I'm good. This is um, this is our first time meeting, so I'm I'm ecstatic that uh, you answered my my Instagram message. Slid into the DMs. Slid into the DMs. <laughs> now that sounds naughty when you say that to somebody. But, I know. Um, slid into my DMs as, as if we're doing something kind of yeah. you know kind of <laughs> sketchy. But no, thank you for for answering the the DM and uh, and starting this this chat and then having the ability to, to drive up, you know, an hour or so to come and sit down. I mean, we've we've never met and I, and I really appreciate the time.
1: I think that's the best part about podcasting is that you can meet people from all over. And then when you do get to sit down in person, it's so fun to just be able to meet someone new and hear what they know, let them hear what you know. And yeah, this is gonna be fun.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, you, when you answered my DM, immediately was like, oh, yeah, we, we kind of have a connection together. I'm like, well, oh, you know, like, what is that? And you're like, well, you saw a, a Great Dane ad that I must have done during the Super Bowl or something with my wife and I for the Upper Midwest Great Dane Rescue. And, um, and then you guys found, fell in love, or were you guys always thinking about a Great Dane? Like, what was that? But you were Dane owners.
1: Yes. Do you still have yours?
0: We have uh, not that one, but we have another one that we rescued from the same organization. And um, yeah, he's. we got him when he was two and now he's eight. Yeah. So we've had him for quite a while.
1: Yeah. So when my husband and I first got married, our gift for each other was a Great Dane. And her name was Reagan. We got her in California. She was purebred. We loved her. She was our baby. She was She was incredible. And then she that October before the Super Bowl, she passed away. She was about 11. And we're like, never again are we going to get a Great Dane. They're huge. They shed. We're just we can't do it again, you know, with the kids and everything. And then we saw your Super Bowl ad and I was like, oh, my gosh, like those are great looking Great Danes. They need homes. And that night, my husband sent in an application, and here we are, what, a couple years later. We have yeah. two Great Danes. We adopted brothers because they couldn't be split Aww. apart. Oh, I know. People think we're just crazy because we have the three dogs. I know you guys can relate because you have lots yeah, of animals, too. Yeah. But two Great Danes. They're four years old. And, yeah, Upper Midwest Great Dane is so great.
0: Yeah. There's such a – I mean, every every dog rescue, um, you know, animal rescue, I think, is just great and, and – they all need homes, and I understand how people want to do the the purebred route, mm. and they want to go through a breeder, and they want the the puppy or the kitten. And mm. believe me, we've done both. Mm. But there's just, you know, I don't know. There's just something different about, you know, rescuing a dog. Um, it can be challenging because they can come with a little bit of some problems and some behavioral issues and some habitual mm-hmm. things that they knew in the past. But, you know, once they uh, kind of break through that, they're just. I feel like they're a little bit more. Loving Mm -hmm. and a little bit more like appreciative of like this kind of new life you've given them. So I I don't know. We've had nothing but success, and I think we'll, we'll forever have Danes. Mm -hmm. We just will.
1: Yeah. They, they love my husband. They follow him everywhere, and he doesn't love that so much. So I'm not sure if we'll have them forever. If it was up to me, we'll have, we'll have more great Danes, but we'll see.
0: At least maybe just one at a time. Yeah.
1: One at a time. Two is hard.
0: Yeah. We, We've had two at a time, and it is tough. It's because they're big, and, you know, they do just need a little bit more attention. Although I say that, and they're but they're great apartment dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about yours, but, like, after, after year two, they're just like any other kind of lazy dog. They just lay around, and they don't need much attention. Um, and it's not like you have to go on five-mile runs with them to get their energy out. Shoot, I don't think one of my Danes has ever fetched. Like, I can't <laughs> take it in the yard and be like... Hey, let's play fetch for 30 minutes. You know, I, I my buddies are like, "Oh yeah, my lab. Well, I mean, we can play fetch for an hour." I'm like, "I don't think my dog's ever brought anything back." You know, so they're they they are they are a little bit more work, but they're low enough energy that they don't have, like high maintenance on a daily basis.
1: And they're beautiful. I just love beautiful. them.
0: I know what colors are yours.
1: We have a merle. His name's mm-hmm. Harley, and then we have a black and white one, and that's Bailey. And we used to have a fawn with a black mask, so we've had them all.
0: Yeah. yeah so we've never had the the classic fawn with a black mm-hmm. mask and every time that we're looking to get another dane i tell my wife i'm like let's look for a fawn one but you know when you're looking at rescues mm-hmm. you just kind of like you kind of you get what you get and mm-hmm. and you kind of fall in love with a certain one maybe because of their story or whatever and we just haven't haven't got the classic dane yet so we've had all the other colors <laughs> <laughs> we've had two blacks yeah. a blue merle and a brindle. Yeah. Um, so maybe I don't know. Maybe one of these days yeah, we'll find the right situation and get the the classic Dane. Yeah. So, um, so that is uh that's our our small connection that we have. Small the connection. other the other connection that we have, and the reason why I sort of found you on Instagram, um, was because I'm a big proponent of gut health, and for the people that know me, um, I've shared my health journey before. And the reason why I believe that, um, you know, that food is medicine, but food and nutrition can also be harmful and your body, um, can tell you in certain ways that, hey, what you're doing and what you're putting in my body, the inputs that you're putting in me, whether it's environmental or nutritional can also be harmful. And, and I found out the hard way. And since that time I've become, you know, a big advocate for gut health, the importance of gut health, um why we should be talking about it more and so I do follow people on my social media channels that that live that lifestyle as well you know to be inspiring to learn I know that there's so much to learn about the science of it it's kind of evolving and, and we're learning more every month I'm sure there's a new study coming out about this that and the other but your your Instagram at a gutsy girl um, I came across and you know it's beautifully done you have great content on there and I started following you um, and that's why I just think that you'd be a great person to, to reach out to and, and to get you on my podcast and talk about the same similar interests. So so with that, I'll just say your all of your social media, basically your your Pinterest, your Facebook, your Instagram at a gutsy girl. Um, your website, A Gutsy Girl, and you are a certified holistic health practitioner and, mm-hmm. and a health coach, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's kind of what your official title is, right? Did I miss anything there?
1: No, that's great. I do refer to myself more as a uh, gut health journalist, though, because I really love the research in it. And then, you know, my Instagram, as you know, is very educational. So I, what I say is I love to teach women or people in general really – these complex issues and topics, and I put them into digestible forms that, that you know, that you can understand. So I, I, I guess I relate more to a journalist than I do, you know, any kind of like practitioner. But.
0: Right. Well, and I think that's important. That's a good approach because a, like with a lot of science, mm-hmm. some, of, some of it can be overly technical and nice. hard to digest. And you're kind of like, what the hell did they just say? Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And if Anybody that can break it down to where it's like, oh, that's a good analogy. I understand how that works. Um, Look at Neil deGrasse Tyson. Why is he one of the number one? He's he's the number one astrophysicist in the world. Well, it's because he kind of breaks things down into a fun way. You know, like the the idea of looking at the stars and trying to make sense of what's going on with our world and how it all connects um, is overwhelming and difficult and full of scientific words that people can't understand. but if you can keep it entertaining and you can keep mm-hmm. it simple, um, you, you become very popular and people like you. And that's basically what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah. I always said that I wanted to be the Gary Taubes. Have you ever read any yeah. of his? Yeah. The Gary Taubes of gut health. Um, I know he does, obviously, everyone that's in the health field these days focuses in some way, shape or form on the gut because it has become such a huge topic. Um, but I just am Gary Taubes on this little scale, the female version of that. I, I just like to do the research and then communicate it. So,
0: Have you always been research minded, you know, growing up and all that stuff? Were you kind of involved in the sciences or, or is it because, which we'll get into your story, is it because of your personal journey that you're like, ah, this is important?
1: Well, it's because of my personal journey, but my background is marketing Advertising English, like communications, mm-hmm. so I never have done a ton of research or been, you know, interested in finding out all the things. I didn't do that until I got sick, but I have always been a writer. Like I have journals upon journals upon journals since I was probably six or seven years old. I go back now and I'm like, wow, it's like, yes, I can see how I, you know, am doing what I'm doing today.
0: Yeah, so let's uh, let's start there. Your journey, um, it's it's like I think a lot of health journeys takes place over a a lengthy amount of time because of, I think, where both you and I were at age wise, there just wasn't that knowledge of like what was going on. You know, we were sort of stuck in the same Western medicine approach of like, let's just fix the symptoms. It's all about the symptoms. You take this for that. And and if you have a side effect and you take another thing Um, and it takes a long time to get Educated, And I think more important, listen to your body and what it's trying to tell you Mm -hmm. before you realize, oh, there's there's another way to attack this problem. So I'll I'll let you kind of take it from here and, and, um, you know, tell us your health journey and what led you down to a gutsy girl.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very, very long journey. And it's interesting because I can sit here now on the other side and I can look back and I can be like, wow. That probably contributed. That probably contributed, and I can look back as far as high school and think about, you know, different things I did, the way that I lived, you know, just everything, and I can see how it was. It's just all part of this bigger picture and this story. Um, but I think my story really begins the uh, my freshman year of college. So, and this is seems to be very common with people in their health journeys is sometime around college. It's a really stressful time. It's like something different usually. You're you're doing things that you weren't doing before usually. And um, so I went off to college and I was going through a pretty rough breakup. And I grew up in a small town in Southern Minnesota. I went to school at the University of Minnesota. And growing up, and it's where we live today, in that small town, I never really knew anything outside of that. And so Going to the University of Minnesota was super overwhelming, you know, just in and of itself. It's a big city.
0: It's a big school. Yeah, exactly.
1: And then going through the breakup, and then, you know, I lived in my own dorm room, and just I I was homesick, all the things. Well, it it wasn't very long into the school year, and I came down with some kind of illness. To this day, we don't know what it is, Hmm. but for about two weeks... I was so sick. My mom, I remember, she couldn't get a hold of me. She was. She had told me like she was. They were about to come up to get me. Um, I was throwing up. My throat was just awful, and that lasted for about two weeks. And after that, I was never the same. Wow,
0: two weeks you felt like that?
1: It was. It was miserable. Absolutely miserable. Um, I was never the same after that, and that is something that I always like to mention in my story because it's very, very common for people. Either they travel abroad or they get food poisoning or they get some kind of mysterious illness or uh, they give birth, you know, anything that's like this trigger, this environment or some some kind of trigger yeah. that that really sets you off. Like you might have had all these things leading up to it, but then something is your trigger. And for me, that was my trigger. Mm-hmm. So after that, I just remember the rest of that year, I was in and out of the doctor's office. I was on antibiotics pretty much every single month. Um, I, was, I always had pharyngitis, tonsillitis. I, I just couldn't get better. And I tell this story, and I, it sounds like it should be super embarrassing for me to tell, but I think so many people can relate to it that I am remiss if I don't tell it. But I had my own dorm room. And one of my first symptoms was that barely any air would come out of me and the entire room would smell like rotten eggs.
0: Oh, my God! I mean, and I was like, just, something. You were just rotten on the inside. <laughs> yeah,
1: literally, literally. I'm like, something? And, in fact, I have a, a post on my website called, um, Do You Smell Like Rotten Eggs or Something? Because, you know, I was able to research and, and learn all about that later on. But, you know, I – that was one of my first symptoms is I was, that was awful. I was super sick. Um, my face, I got period dermatitis really bad, um, was all around my nose. It's like a butterfly rash. Yeah, say, well, it's a rash. It's a rash around your okay. nose. So it was, it's not
0: like acne. As, as It's much. like
1: awful acne. It itches. It's scaly. Oh. And there's also acne. I have pictures of it on my website from when I had it it's, it was, it's awful. Um, and so that kind of happened all throughout the year and it happened, continued on into my sophomore year of college and on into my junior year of college. Finally, at the end of my, and again, like I didn't make any lifestyle changes. I was just living right. my life. I was like, well, I'm young, I'm healthy, whatever. Big deal. Yeah,
0: And you always, I think we always have this idea that like, it'll pass. Yeah. It'll, it'll be fine. I'll just, I'll do this or I'll be on this medication for a week or so. It'll be fine. Yeah. And you'll just move on with my life.
1: Yeah, Exactly. So the end of my junior year of college, I, the, the doctors had recommended that I have my tonsils out because I had been sick so much. So right before my senior year of college, I had my tonsils out.
0: So let me stop you there real quick, because I know that there's so much of this goes, goes hand in hand between the gut and the brain. Mm-hmm. When you look back at that time, that let's say that two-year stretch from your freshman year to your junior year, and then you know, you're getting your, your tonsils out. And I know that you're not at the end of your journey, but did you notice mental changes as well? Did you have, did you notice, was it harder to concentrate in the school? Did you have brain fog? Did you have any of those like maybe mental, psychological experiences that some people have with poor gut health?
1: Maybe, but I never correlated it and even looking back, I don't know necessarily that I could correlate with that because I always was very depressed in the winter. But, again, we live in Minnesota, so yeah. it's like, I don't know. Brain fog, yes, but I was drinking a lot. Yeah, um, college I mean, life, you know, not sleeping it, as much as you should. Oh, definitely not sleeping as much. Um, I don't think a lot of that stuff caught up to me, and I was really able to be aware of it until later on in my journey.
0: Yeah,
1: Because, obviously, you know, at this point, it is still so early in my journey. Like this, I have a decade long right. you know, journey with this. Right,
0: you're still you're still in the the naive phase. Oh, for sure. You know, of like I don't even know what's going on. I'm just kind of dealing with the problems as they come up.
1: Exactly. Medication will fix it. We'll move on. Yeah. Another day. New in story. which you
0: thought, okay, tonsils come out. Yeah. Fine. That'll fix the problem.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so I I say this. I t- tell this all the time. You you think you're changing one thing. You think you're fixing one thing. But if you do not address what's going on underneath, nothing changes. Right. So I had these tonsils out. Not only that, but then something new is going to come up. And it did immediately, like overnight, literally overnight. So about a week after I had my tonsils and adenoids out, which, by the way, by the time they came out, the doctors told my parents that they were so scarred up with infection that there was barely anything left. There was just like scar after scar after like they were just so another thing um, to a symptom that I had was I got those tonsil stones. It's almost oh it was disgusting. I don't think I've
0: ever heard of tonsil stones. Disgusting.
1: They're like little balls that are the grossest tasting thing ever that will come up (gasps) in your mouth. They're just real little. They're soft. You can't choke on them or anything. Wait a minute. Yeah.
0: I've had those.
1: Yes. It's like the rancid taste.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay hold on. Hold up. I, I've never talked about this ever with yeah. anybody, yeah. really. I mean, it's so disgusting that I'm like, I, there there were, I don't get them now, so mu- I must have, like, because of my yeah. health changes that I used to brush my teeth, you know, and sometimes when I'm brushing my tongue, you know, you, like, gag yourself or something, and I'll, like, hack up this thing that feels like it comes from the, the back side of my, my throat. Like, I, I feels like I can't even, like, get to it. Mm. And it's, like, this little gross... Ball. It's
1: disgusting. I had them all the time, and as soon as I had my tonsils, out, they were gone. I've never ever had one since.
0: That's called a tonsil, tonsil stone. Tonsil stone. Yeah, look it up. Okay, so what is it? I
1: don't know. It's. I think it's bacteria. I think it's just. I don't. I don't know. It's like
0: maybe like old infection or something.
1: Yeah, I never wanted to look that up. That's gross. I don't know because yeah, it went all, away then, and I didn't have a reason right, to understand okay. it.
0: And that's the thing with me too. Like it would happen, and. I could almost feel like when it would come out, when it would dislodge that like, oh yeah, it kind of feels like more clear back there or something. So I never, it was, must just built up so slowly, I didn't ever realize mm-hmm. it was there. And I could kind of feel where it came from, like mm-hmm. that void where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wouldn't think about it until, I don't know, maybe a month or year later, it happened again. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what the hell is that thing?
1: <laughs> I know, I know, it's scary.
0: Holy There cow. you go,
1: that's what it is. You learn something okay. new, you're welcome. Tonsile stone. Um, okay, so I had my tonsils out, and about a week later, I was driving back up to Minneapolis to go back to school, and all of a sudden, my tongue felt like it was pulling to the right side of my mouth. And so this has actually been something that has been unexplained my entire journey, still unexplained. It never It's pretty much gone to this day, but, but in the beginning, around that time, it would feel like the sides of my, my tongue were constantly scraping on my teeth. So for the way that I would explain it to doctors and dentists is almost like I had dry mouth. Right. But I did never had dried mouth. Like I have been tested for everything. I never had that. But that's what it felt like. There was no no physical sores on my tongue. There's nothing ever in my mouth. Okay, so it was just the most bizarre thing. So that happened. And then. Senior year of college comes, and that mouth thing won't go away. This is what I'm talking about. You know, you can get rid of one problem, but I still wasn't addressing anything. I went back to living my old life, and now new things are popping up. So I go into my dentist. Well, I went into the doctor first who had no idea what was going on and whatever. Then I went to the dentist, and it was a dentist who actually changed my life because he was the first person who ever said, I'm wondering if it's some kind of food intolerance you might have because hmm. there was nothing visible in my mouth. It was like no one knew. Still, They still don't know. And so that was my first aha moment. Like, huh, a food I'm eating. Now, keep in mind, up until this point, I was no stranger to diets or dieting or food. or sure. But conventional
0: a, dieting and all that stuff. Right, right. But I had
1: a very unhealthy relationship with it in college. Right. I was very um, fat free, sugar free, low calorie, you know, like just all over the place. Right. Right. You know, just I had no clue about real nutrition, real food, just right. that less is more.
0: Right. You're just kind of like thinking, OK, calories versus expenditure. Right. That's kind of and however you get to that point is like, that's my diet.
1: Right. Exactly. And so when he said that, I I had an aha moment. It made sense to me, but I didn't know what to do about do with the information because I mean, okay, well, there's a billion foods out there. How am I supposed to do anything?
0: Right. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Okay. I eat a lot of stuff. And within those things, there can be a lot of ingredients that. Make up that thing
1: exactly. Where do you even start? I talk a lot about that actually: ingredients versus ingredients, and how there's such a there's a difference between an ingredient, an apple, or um, an apple bar that has apples, sugar, mm-hmm. wheat. Those are multiple ingredients. Anyways, side side topic. Um, so yeah, so I didn't know where to go or what I was gonna do, but so I just kept on my journey, um, and I no longer had, you know, the tonsil problems and I wasn't sick like that, but I was still definitely bloated all the time Mm -hmm. and my stomach still hurt and that never went away. So the summer after I graduated from college, I got a job with a division of news corporation and I moved out to LA and again, it was another huge transition. You know, I always wanted to go out to California. I was like, this is going to be the life for me. Yeah. California and LA is where I'm like I was destined to be there. Uh the problem was I absolutely hated it. Like I got there and I was absolutely miserable. I was wearing a three-piece suit every day. I hated it so much. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't like where I lived. I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I was Where did you live? I lived in the "quote unquote Beverly Hills adjacent" Actually there is something called that. Um it's on Bedford Drive, I think. It's um hmm. close to where the news corporation's at in Century City.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I know where that's at. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, so there's nothing bad about it, but it yeah. just I mean, coming from Waseka, Minnesota. Yeah. And even Minnesota in general, and just not knowing anybody and you know, the weather was great. That's probably what kept me afloat. But beyond that, it was just awful. Yeah. Um and so I think just the stress of all that. And not making any changes to my lifestyle kind of saw me get to another level. I remember, um, you know, wearing those tight pants and suit every day. My stomach was constantly just felt like I I always explain it like it felt like gremlins were pushing against my stomach. You know, it was like I was always bloated. I could never get comfortable, um, but I just kept going along. You know, actually, what I did do when I moved out there because I thought it would help is I got myself probably the first gym membership I ever had, Yeah, you know, and um, to this day, like, I love working out and I've done all the things now, but at that time I didn't, I was like, well, I think I need to take care of this bloat. Maybe I should get right. a gym membership and start working out. Um, but that didn't help. So did
0: you notice it getting, would it get better or worse based on what you put into your body? Like, for sure. But, so, but it was constant, but it would be maybe exacerbated by uh, a heavy pasta meal or something.
1: Right. But that's really all I ate. Yeah. You know, like I would, I remember I would go with my roommate at the time. We'd go to Trader Joe's and we'd get these little um, bread rounds. And I was like, oh, they're just mini, you know, they're like 100 right. calories, whatever. This, this can't hurt me. But I remember every time I would eat those, I would feel just miserable.
0: Off of just like this one little tiny thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, I didn't eat this huge spaghetti and meatball dinner. Like just Yeah, I never this.
1: ate a ton. Yeah. And I never, yeah, I never ate a ton in one sitting, but I just kind of, again, ate fat-free, sugar-free things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I was poor living out there. <laughs> Which everybody <does. laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, what can I get for $40 at Trader Joe's? That's going to be, you know, for the next two weeks. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but so I was miserable there. And then I, my boss asked if I would transfer up to the San Francisco location. And I did. I moved up there. Another hot mess. And I think, you know, really... I tell this part of my story real fast, but I think that the thing that's important about it is that lifestyle and our happiness or lack thereof plays into this a lot. And and while I don't think that me being unhappy and just bouncing from place to place and not, you know, just, just not figuring out my place didn't get me sick. It also didn't help me get better. Mm-hmm. And I think people forget that so much that when they're unhappy in certain, with certain pieces of their lives, it's really hard to heal. It's really, really hard to heal. Um, and so I just kind of kept doing that. And then I you know, met my husband again, or whatever you want to call it, and I moved back to Minnesota.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the one, the only Douglas and Todd bourbon. You can find Douglas and Todd at douglasandtodd.com. It is grain-to-glass, gold medal gold-metal-winning bourbon. Who says you can't have good bourbon outside of Kentucky? Well, we do at Douglas and Todd. The reason being the extreme hot and cold temperatures of Minnesota as it matures in those charred American oak barrels for over five years lends itself to the expansion and contrastion of the temperatures. And by doing that, it goes inside the wood and gets pressed out of the wood and just brings out that bold, rich, yummy flavor of bourbon that you love so much. And you be the judge for yourself. Go to douglasandtod.com. Go to the store locator in the upper right-hand corner. Find the liquor store closest to you so you can judge for yourself. Douglas and Todd Bourbon, Minnesota-made, grain-to-glass, Gold medal winning bourbon, douglasandtodd.com. Okay, so San Francisco, back to Minnesota, and you started your – and you basically said, I'm going to start a a pretty strict diet as most people do on January 1st.
1: Yeah, after eating – all the things at the holidays and the holidays. Um, so I decided that I was going to do a 21 day detox and I did the 21 day detox. And from days one through about 18, I felt great. I started to definitely feel better. I wasn't feeling hundred percent. My mouth problem was still there, um, but I was definitely feeling better. And then on day 20, like magic, everything went away. Stomach problems, mouth problem. I was, I was like, this is, this was some sort of magic. I have no idea what just happened. I don't know what was the actual contributor, but something happened, and I'm healed. On day 21, we decided that I was going to celebrate, and we went out for uh, dinner with friends and family. And I don't remember exactly what I had to eat that meal, but I do remember mashed potatoes and butter. Mm -hmm. And shortly after the meal, I got so sick. I was throwing up in the bathroom. I couldn't stop going to the bathroom. And I knew then and there that there was absolutely something to what I was eating and how I was feeling.
0: Right. That was pro- that was the first time you're like, okay, there absolutely is a connection between whatever I just ate, which sounds like it was a multitude of things because you're coming off a diet. Anybody coming off a diet, you're like, I can't wait for that last day because I'm just going to eat you know, X, Y, and Z. And it could be 10 different things. But if you're out to dinner with friends, it's like food and drink. Why not? Yeah, yeah. I haven't had that in a while. I'm just going to eat that. And so you just kind of went crazy. Yeah. And I your body said, hell no. No, like, absolutely not, not.
1: So then I... I think I scaled back on certain things. You know, I was like, okay, so maybe I shouldn't eat so much dairy anymore, or maybe I shouldn't do this. But I didn't, I didn't know how to make a bunch of changes, and I definitely didn't, you know, cut anything completely. I just kind of tried to slide by. But yet, I, I started feeling miserable again.
0: Yeah, and and I, I would say that from from a lot of people's standpoint, I think we all, I think we all sort of know. You know, I think we all sort of know that, um, oh, man, you know, every time I eat ice cream, Mm -hmm. I I just I get the runs or I get Mm -hmm. this or I know if I'm going to go out and have a a tomato rich pasta dinner, I got to take an antacid before because Mm -hmm. I'm going to get heartburn. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we we all sort of know Mm -hmm. that our body's trying to tell us something. But at the same time, we all fall into the same trap of like, well, I know it doesn't last very long, and I'll just continue to do it. And I know how to sort of medicate myself for that short amount of time. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of what you, you went back to. You had the knowledge, mm-hmm. but then you kind of went back to the same diet.
1: Yeah. Well, and the problem is, too, I think that as a society, we don't really know what good feels like anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of sort of start to think that, well, everyone feels like this. This is just – kind of how it's supposed to be, but it's not how it's supposed to be. Like you are your, your body is designed to be able to eat food and to digest it and to have energy and to feel great.
0: Yeah. So then, so that's obviously not, um, that's a, a pivotal point in your journey, but your journey is far from over.
1: Far from over. So then after that, shortly after that, my husband got transferred for his job And we moved back to California, and I said, sure, I will go back, but we have to go to Northern California to a town that I have never lived before. So we moved back to California, and that was about 2006. And from 2006 to 2008, I still just kind of kept on the journey doing whatever. Shortly before we got married in 2008, I had my first colonoscopy and endoscopy, And during that, they found that I had colitis and I had proctitis, which was it's just a it's a form of colitis that affects the rectum. Um, I wasn't extremely surprised by that because there is there is colitis on both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But nonetheless, I was, you know, still like, wow, I have colitis. The gastroenterologist that diagnosed me with it, though, the solution really was the suppository. Yeah. And Which it doesn't was sound fun. Not at all. Not when you're, I think I was 25, 26 maybe. Um, and it was called Canassa. But I, I trusted him and I believed him because he's the doctor and he's there to make me better. And so I took it, but the problem was it made me worse. And I remember shortly after I started taking it, I ended up in his office almost on an emergency basis because I got so distended and bloated. So I walk into his office and he tells me that what I need to do is I need to go down to the local drugstore, the Walgreens, get an enema and a bottle of calcium citrate, magnesium citrate, red liquid, went home, drank the whole thing, took the enema. I was absolutely miserable getting it all out of me but nonetheless, it worked. My bloat went down and I, you know, started feeling better. And so that was my, my solution, like you said. It, but all of those things are just Band-Aids, right? It's right. so just a Band-Aid right. for the time being. That was 2008. And so from 2008 to 2009 I just kind of started to think like there has to be something different there has to be more to this story this is, I'm not going to live like this I'm not going to run to the gastroenterologist to get to be prescribed a mm-hmm. bottle of laxative every time I'm not feeling well and so I it, at, at that point I started doing my own research I sought out a nutritionist I started reading all the books I listened to everything I I did everything. I I went back, I enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, I just really like immersed myself in everything. And I started to really see in 2009 when I did my first ever kind of, uh, I I definitely call it, it is a gut healing diet, the GAPS diet, which stands for gut and psychology syndrome, developed by Dr. Natasha Campbell, that I started to feel well. And the basis of the GAPS diet really is a lot of homemade bone broths, mm-hmm. meats, slow cooked meats. Um, I I learned for the first time in my life how to navigate the kitchen. I had never slow cooked a chicken before. I, I I had never made anything other than macaroni and cheese, peanut butter and jelly, maybe some sautéed veggies right, in my life. Right. So I remember the first time I made my bone broth, my, I slow cooked a whole chicken, and then I subsequently made bone broth after it. And I was shaking, thinking about making this because I was so worried I was going to do something wrong. I had to have my husband like watch me do every step. I'm like, okay, right, do you think I'm right. doing this right? Do you think I'm just... But it was it was during that period of really falling in love with the kitchen and cooking my own things and and learning more about food from a healing standpoint rather than just food to eat, right? That things started to change, um, and I started to get better. I started to get much better until 2012, when um, we couldn't get pregnant, and so I started through with all of the infertility treatments. And infertility treatments are obviously a whole nother slew of, of things that are introduced into your body and that really, you know, disrupt everything. And so, but I went through them. I did all of them. I did the, the infertility treatments. We did the a final uh, culmination of an IVF cycle. And in that final IVF cycle, it ended in 2012 with me in the emergency room. Mm. It was a failed cycle. And, um, it was just one of those things where, you know, it kind of all comes crashing down. I was back to feeling miserable, and my husband was like, "Let's go to Sedona, and like Let's reset, get away, yeah, reset. Get away yeah. reset." We go to Sedona, and it's there that a gutsy girl is born. I got up early one morning, and I went down to the hotel lobby, and I was talking to my website developer at the time didn't know what we were gonna call the site. I thought it was gonna be something basic like skinnybanana.com mm-hmm. or Which is kinda of fun. FunApple.com.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but he said I don't think you should do that because I know what you are what your intentions are. I know what you wanna write about. I know that the topics that you're going to discuss, which are women's gut issues and infertility it doesn't really fall in line with that. So right. he's Which like... Which are
0: sensitive topics, you know? Right. I mean, mo- I mean, at society, we don't really talk about it. And guy- guys joke around and think about their, their bathroom habits more than girls do. Exactly. But, and but that's girls kind of don't a, do that.
1: Exactly, exactly. I always say um, it's... it's I think on my podcast, I say it's um, topics. No topic is too stinky to discuss. Um, (laughs) But anyways, and so, yeah. So he said, let's play off of the word gut. And he found the, he said, what about the gutsygirl.com? I'm like, perfect. But the URL was taken. And so then he said, okay, let's look up a gutsy girl. And it was open. And I took it. After Sedona, it was really just this new awakening. This it was felt very refreshing. I had my website. I had this new like inspiration to mm-hmm. go back and start talking about these things. So you, you know? truly
0: refreshed at in Sedona. Like totally, that, that was a full on, not only just mental and psychological refreshing because of all your IBF stuff and and that feeling, all that stress. You came back with. A new purpose. Exactly. A new sense, a new person, a new you.
1: Exactly. So came back. So as soon as we got back, we actually started the foster to adoption process, which is pretty complicated in California. You have to go through tons of classes. I mean, I felt like I was scrutinized for everything. I'm like, was this really happening right now? I mean, I'm pretty sure that we're capable. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we went through all of that, and I was able to focus on myself again without all of the drugs and medications and just really healing. And I was feeling great. And then in November of 2013, we got the call that there was a preemie baby who was born who needed to leave the hospital in Stockton, California, and wondered if we could come get her. And we were like, of course we can. So we went, we got her. Um, but she was a micro preemie. She was born at like 2 pounds, 2.4 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And so when, by the time we took her home from the hospital, she was still only five, about 5 I think, or something like that. Super small. Oh, my gosh. And she needed a lot of care. So starting from that moment that we got her, I was up with her 24-7. Like, my husband and I would take turns, but it was just like I was so paranoid because, you know, she was still in foster care. I was paranoid that we were going to lose her. I was. It was just for the next several months just really taxing on my body again. You know, I was not sleeping. I was not eating. I was just tending to her and emotionally 100% invested in Mm -hmm. her and what was going to happen there. And so in kind of the culmination of all of everything came um, in 24, right before 2014, I think. I have a picture of this. I'm at the park and Samara, our daughter, now she was a baby. She's in her stroller. We have the dogs and I'm sitting kneeling down by them. I just look pale and frail, and I have my periodermitis, came back with a vengeance all over my face. People were asking me about it all the time, are you okay? And so a a friend of mine that lived out there, she recommended her functional practitioner, and she said, I really think you should go see him because I think he's going to be able to help you in, in ways that you've never been helped before. And so I did. He was actually in Petaluma, California, and that was like an hour and a half from where we lived. I'm like, I don't care what I have to do, how far I have to travel. I don't care if it's all out of pocket. At this point, I'm just, this is like my last hope. Went there. As soon as I step into his office, he was like, yeah, you definitely need help Like right now. Um, Is that
0: that a pretty clear cut symptom and sign for a lot of people if they have... Well, yeah, what, like what the, you had going on. I think
1: the perial dermatitis. Also, I had the cracks in the corners of my mouth, the angular cheilitis, And just um, I, I was really pale, you know. So, I mean, mm. that told him I was very deficient. And I mean, yeah, I, he actually immediately suspected that I had SIBO. So he said, OK, we're just going to do like all these different, you know, stool tests. We're going to test you for SIBO. And in a few weeks, results will come back and you'll come back in. And I went back in a few weeks later and he diagnosed me with SIBO pretty advanced form of it. I think it had been brewing probably since my um, freshman year of college. Yeah. Um, SIBO, adrenal fatigue, whatever that is, and a low functioning thyroid. And uh, but from that day on, then I was able to get better because there was an actual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. He gave me um, immediately a B12 injection to my stomach because the SIBO had completely robbed me of all my nutrients, everything. Um, and I got on a lot of different supplements, an herbal protocol. I ultimately took the SIBO antibiotic slash antibiotics, which is uh, rifaximin and neomycin. And so, from twenty fourteen to twenty eighteen, I just really spent that time healing. Mm-hmm. Really, I you know I did relapse from SIBO. SIBO has a high Recurrence, you know, and people relapse from it all the time just because it's so stubborn. So, real,
0: so real quick for the listeners out there, I think um, people have heard of the acronym, but the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You know, just sort of like briefly explain what what that is, really, and why it's why it is a problem.
1: Yeah, it's a problem because so it's a it's a bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine. So you there's a small intestine, there's a large intestine. You want. All of our bacteria, the good bacteria, all the bacteria should be in the large intestine. The problem is if there's some kind of structural issue or, or stomach acidity, um, your, your levels are off or you have a motility problem, which was my case, that mixed with um, low stomach acid, that bacteria can creep back up into the small intestine it's not supposed to be there so it's not necessarily like it's good versus bad bacteria but it ultimately is bad bacteria because it's not supposed to be there right so the goal is to clear the overgrowth so that you know you're not bloated and miserable i mean i had very classic SIBO symptoms you know the bloating the acne um and the this pit in your stomach, like you feel like you're constantly starving. Like I could eat and eat and eat and eat hmm. and eat, and I was never full. Really? Yeah. And some people lose a lot of weight with, C- with SIBO, some gain. I did both. Um, it just, yeah, it all depends. So that's SIBO. And that,
0: and that bacteria will get into your small intestine and sort of rob you of all the good stuff that your small intestine is supposed to do, right? Like that, the whole function is not only to help with digestion, but that that is where, you know, the leaky gut stuff happens. You know, that is where it can take the nutrients that your body really needs, the vitamins, the minerals, all the good things, and sort of eat that and take that away and use that as fuel.
1: Yes. Well, nutrient absorption happens in the small intestine. So if that's not happening,
0: yeah.
1: you're sick. I mean, that's, there's just You're no... kind of a wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a wasteland. Yeah. So I, you know, I relapsed four times from it. You know, I think something that, that people ask and it's, it's a really big conversation in the gut health community right now with SIBO is, is SIBO IBS? Because we go to our doctors and our doctors, I mean, I was given this diagnosis probably a hundred times. My father who passed away from colon cancer was always told it was IBS. Everyone is told IBS, 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 but it's, that's just BS, right? Mm-hmm. There, I mean, very rarely is it just, Unexplained, which is basically what IBS is, and so um, SIBO. A lot of people are that have been told it's IBS are being diagnosed with SIBO now, um, and so I think that's something that's really important to mention because um, it can it can help so many people if they had that accurate diagnosis. And, and
0: you, so going back to the testing, because I agree with you in my own journey, the relief that I had when the Mayo Clinic told me to just to continue to, ca- to take this pill to make my hives stay at bay, um, they gave me no answers. Um, when I finally found a, f- uh, a functional medicine doctor and we did all the tests and found out through the blood tests and through my symptoms, like, okay, you have leaky gut. You're reacting to, the- to these specific foods. Let's do an elimination diet of those particular foods. Let's put you on a protocol to help your leaky gut and heal all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And kind of start over again, the to have that sort of knowledge and that awareness, mm-hmm. I I share that same feeling with you. It was like uplifting. Like I I'm glad I have a problem that's recognizable and I'm even more happy that I have a plan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have a plan that's going to work. And I have a plan that's that I'm gonna fix myself versus taking something something to mask those symptoms. Mm-hmm. And and I gotta tell you that that um just walking away from that last doctor's appointment or the, the the appointment in which I was given all that information was like, I was just sort of like walking on clouds mm-hmm. like, all right, I, I know what's wrong with me now. Mm-hmm. After all these years, I don't have to second guess. And like to go out and be in the be in public and not have to worry about, like, are my lips going to start swelling up? <laughs> You know, am I going to get a migraine here because my body's freaking out? Like, you, you're always kind of playing that what if game and you you don't feel totally relaxed, which then leads to more stress. Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: yeah it, it's definitely it was I felt this huge weight lifted from my shoulders just getting the diagnosis. And I think that's something, you know, that's really prevalent in the chronic illness community is that. You do. You keep bouncing from doctor to doctor to doctor, and you don't find your answers. And it's like you know something's wrong, and so it's so defeating. And you go to another doctor, and you just start to feel like a hypochondriac. You you do. You do. And but I just you know it's it's a pun, obviously. But like you know to listen to your gut. You know it's so it's so true. The gut is the second brain, and there's something to that. Like you, you. you can't make this stuff up, you know, no, like you can't, no. certain and, things you and just even can't make up. And
0: even at a very acute level, um, you know, some people might say like, well, I don't, I don't have this, um, this rash on my face, or I don't have, you know, the hives and the swelling that like, that I'm talking about or the migraines, whatever. But let me put this out there as a, as a disclaimer that these things can, can come about in the most minute ways. Mm-hmm. Like, does your, nose gets stuffy after you eat mm-hmm. something? Do your ears ring a little bit after you eat something? Do you feel a little bit brain foggy after mm-hmm. you eat something? And I'm not saying within five or 10 minutes. I'm saying an hour after you have a meal, do you feel sluggish? Like, listen to your body because your body's trying to say something to you. Like, hey, something's not right. Mm-hmm. We've created this histamine response in this, this inflammation response internally that you don't feel. Mm-hmm. But These other symptoms are there to let you know that like, hey, your stuffy nose is probably because of something you just ate. Mm -hmm. And if you keep doing that over and over again, that stuffy nose could turn into a sinus infection. It could turn into something else. And who knows, like wherever the weak link is for you and your body, that chain will eventually break and Mm -hmm. become Mm -hmm. a big issue.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I, yeah, I can't agree more with that. So it's exactly what happened to me. And it was, it was just like one thing after another. And it was just this downfall. It's like, I used to explain it like this, you know, slowly, slow leaks lead to the flat tire. Mm-hmm. And eventually that happens. And there's all these symptoms, you know, there's the difference between IgG and IgE is a food allergy and then food intolerance. So people think if I'm, if my throat's not clamping up, I'm fine. And right. this is just me right. feeling miserable you know, tomorrow has nothing to do with what I'm doing today when the reality is that a food intolerance can take up to 72 hours to surface. Yeah. So and it can even be in the, the most subtle things, you know, like you said, like the ringing ears or I mean, the skin rashes, the the mental, the just being tired like that's not normal. You know, I, I realize that some people do stay up 24 seven. So maybe that's normal. But like if you're getting adequate sleep, it's not normal to be tired all the time, or to have the afternoon crash, or right. That's not normal.
0: Yeah, and there's and there's even more and more research that a lot of the, you know, the Alzheimer's, the dementia, the the cognitive brain function is years of accumulation from environmental toxins I'll put it that and environmental toxins could be the nutrition the food that you have as well you know some people um, if you you know live next to a, a farm field that sprays a lot of you know weed killer and, and, and roundup and all that mm-hmm. stuff well Over time, that could kill off your your gut bacteria, Mm -hmm. which then leads to all these other things, and things cross over the blood-brain barrier, and then all of a sudden it starts attacking your brain, and now you have an autoimmune issue that they may say, oh, you have dementia. Well, all of that was because of 30 years of you ingesting a toxin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's all related to your gut.
1: Yeah. Everything comes back to the gut. That's why I am so, so passionate about it. You know, people always ask, so when you got diagnosed with a low thyroid and with adrenal fatigue and SIBO and leaky gut and blah, where did you start? And I maintain and most doctors maintain that you always just focus on, well, one, the thing that's really, you know, bringing you down the most. So for me, it was the SIBO. But if you focus on your gut, everything else follows and everything else starts to heal. Um, Everything of mine did start to heal when I focused and really just nourished the gut in the ways that that I needed to do that, that I had been neglecting. And and that did not just mean food. You know, I think that's something that's such a it's such a. Misconception People are always like, Well, I'm not gonna eat salads all the time. I'm like, Well, I didn't either. I yeah, mean, it right. not, has nothing to do with that at all, not even a little bit. Um, and by the way, I never could fully heal until I made food far less a priority and everything else a larger priority.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm happy to interrupt this podcast to thank one of my sponsors, Prevy Medica is the maker of the All Cat Food Sensitivity Test, in which I am a huge, huge fan of. I didn't realize that For most of my life, I was allergic to wheat gluten. That was the reason why I had uh, giant hives. My lips would swell. I've had to use the EpiPen one time. I didn't realize that the migraines I've been dealing with my whole life have to do with an intolerance to soy amongst a bunch of other food uh, additives and food products. And the All Cat Food Sensitivity Test helped me pinpoint and gave me control over what I put into my body and thus eliminated a lot of these stressors in my life. If you feel like you're somebody that has brain fog, uh, emotional distress, uh, maybe you have skin rashes, maybe you have a skin condition, maybe there's something going on where you just can't figure it out, the All Cat Food Sensitivity Test can help you figure out what that is. They test from 50 to 200 different types of foods, also herbs and molds and antibiotics, over-the-counter drugs. So maybe you're somebody with celiacs or IBS or Crohn's and you want to figure out exactly what is affecting your body, I urge you to go to prevumedica.com. Click on the all cat food sensitivity test. Figure out which was the best for you, and take control of your life. And use the promo code Ben dash twenty for twenty percent off of your order. That's right, Ben dash twenty for twenty percent off of your order. Get control of your life with Previmedica So one of the big things about you that you're so candid about, um, you talk about all the all the bathroom stuff but infertility is a big thing and not not a lot of women like to talk about it for a lot of different reasons but you're very open about your infertility issues through your journey what have you what have you figured out about yourself and how does it relate and connect to your gut issues
1: yeah, so the infertility part is something that I'm definitely not afraid to talk about. And I think it should be talked about more often. I do think that today, uh, there's a really wonderful organization, I believe it's in Minneapolis, they're based out of Minneapolis called resolve. And they have really brought the conversation to the forefront and they've done a really good job with it, but I was talking about it back in 2012 when I feel like really nobody was, it's one of those conversations that as women, you're like, well, I thought that's what I was supposed to be able to do is to have babies. And, and then when you can't, it's, you think that, you know, that there's something wrong and, and there usually is something wrong for me personally, though um, I've never you know, really shied away from the conversation because I, while it's still very unexplained for me and why we'd never got pregnant, um, it, was, it was definitely a blessing because I, you know, we, we then went on to adopt three children from the foster care system. And my doctor was able to really explain to me, it, like it didn't necessarily have to do maybe directly with my gut, but indirectly it did because I wasn't even able to take care of myself and take care of my, you know, what was going on with my gut and really focus on healing. So there was no way that I was going to also be able to create another life at the, simultaneously. I know that sounds for a lot of people, that sounds like, but that doesn't make sense because people get pregnant all the time, but I just look at it as, you know that's just that's just part of my story and that's okay and there there was a different there was something different and for me better waiting
0: yeah and i think that that it does make sense and i think there there's always exceptions to the rule i mean you see we see healthy people have issues and we see what we would perceive as non-healthy people have no problems with getting pregnant and having babies and having healthy babies and you're kind of like well Why am I over here as a healthy individual taking care of myself, trying to do all the right things? And this other person, you know, is eating fast food every day, maybe a smoker, maybe drinks, maybe the more than they should. And they're cranking out babies left and right. And it doesn't seem fair. But I think the one thing that we all kind of learn through our through both of our journeys and talking to other people that um, your immune system and the way your body reacts internally it really sometimes has no bearing on the outside perspective on the, on the way you look on the outside. And, and you don't really ever know what's going on unless you kind of go down each one of these paths and and talk to each professional, talk to a specialist, you know, inside and outside of traditional medicine. Um, and I just think that that's, um, that's the message I think that needs to be put out there is a, don't give up hope. I mean, there's lots of people that, that can find a quick fix. Maybe it is. Maybe it is something that, that you can find through uh, a traditional doctor. Maybe it's something you can find through a functional uh doctor, integrated medicine doctor. It could be as much as SIBO or uh, a heavy metal issue. But I think I think just the the idea of if your body can't take care of itself, then how's it going to take care of something else? I think this, that's just a great clean way of looking at it, you know. It it does it does biologically make sense to me that if you can't, if you can't sustain your own life in a, in a good way, then how are you going to create life in a healthy way? You know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's the message really that I, I try to give to women too, is that there, there just isn't one way to have a child or to be part of a child's life. Like, you know, there's step-parents, there's, Um, you can adopt like families look today, like so many different things. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And if you want to keep going, like I could have easily done another IVF cycle. I could have kept seeking answers and kept searching, but at the time and still today, I'm like, it just, it's not important to me, but if it's important to someone else, then that's great. So it's really you know, it's really, I like to empower women for whatever works for them in their life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you were saying, you know, earlier, the, the IVF treatments are not, they're not pretty either. You know, they can have some, some pretty negative um, side effects on your own body. You know, just trying to have kids, it can make you feel kind of crummy too. And you've, you've talked about you've, a decade of feeling kind of crummy, you know, so <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, what, how much more can you take?
1: Yeah. A good, fun decade. So much fun.
0: you know there's so much that goes into the role of of gut health and what it is to have gut health and i know that we we have we have heard all these things about um the things that you can do but i but i don't think that we really focus on the ways in which we are inadvertently damaging our gut and microbiome um so let's kind of go through some of those things like i think number one on the list uh Well, A, they're, they're finding lots of research on just whether or not you had a baby naturally or through C-section. And then secondarily, did you naturally breastfeed or go to formula? Because a lot of leaky gut issues are from the initial colostrum that your mother's producing. And if you don't get that initial colostrum, you're not going to seal up those, that intestinal, those intestinal joints. And you may, as an infant, have leaky gut syndrome you know, when you, when you've just taken your first few breaths of life.
1: Yeah. I actually joke with my mother all the time. I'm like, do you know that from the second I entered this world, I had a disadvantage because I was a cesarean baby. I was not breastfed like all these different things. And she's like, well, do you know that at the time had I not had a Caesarian you wouldn't have been here and I might also not have been here. And so I always, I think that that is something that's really important too, that I try to communicate to women because that is such a hot conversation right now is the breastfeeding and delivering vaginally because yes, you do get all of the probiotics. You pass along all the probiotics through the canal to the baby. And then also obviously like breast milk is best. But the reality is that that's not reality for everyone. And so, so many women now, because it is such a conversation are feeling bad. Mm. And so it's, it's one of those things though. Yeah. I mean, if you can absolutely do it. And even, even I know that some cesareans now they will, if, if they have to have that and mother has uh, requested it prior, they will do like a swab and, and get, and still be able to get the baby, those probiotics um, if they have to be born, you know, via cesarean, because they are doing so much research on it and finding all of the benefits, you know, like entering into life, into this world. And just having that right away is such a it's it's so great for babies.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's why this is such a hard conversation and topic for some doctors to really grasp because we're starting to realize that this accumulation effect of all these little dents and nicks to our our life cycle really can add up into the reasons why we're having problems late in life. And you wanna think that like, oh, well, why did I have this issue when I was a freshman in college? And, and why did, my, did, did I personally have these outbreaks of hives or, or these huge histamine things? And I'm looking towards just what happened in the last few days or the last week. What did, I, what did I come in contact with? And you're just kind of racking your brain maybe for the last few hours or whatever. And in all reality though, that's just like the last straw you know, whatever happened in the last day, two days, three days, maybe week is kind of just the last straw. It's an accumulation of all these things that have happened in our life cycle. And it starts all the way from the time that you're a baby, which seems so overwhelming to people. Yeah, well,
1: it is. I I actually have that analogy on my website. It's the the straw that broke the camel's back. So we carry so many things that we take all these these toxic burdens, you know, even like we were discussing with birth and then just environmental toxins. And I mean, when you breathe air, <laughs> there's things that are, that can be damaging, you know? So like no one is going to escape it, but then what happens is something becomes just so overbearing for the system that it seem, it's seemingly like a straw, like you go out and drink one night or something, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, or you eat something, you get food poisoning, boom, and your life is never the same again. And that's just that, that whole idea is like, you, there's only so much your body can take.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was listening to this podcast where this doctor was talking about, um, he was diagnosed with a heavy metal toxicity, and it was really because he thought it was because of the fish that he was eating overseas, and it must have just been high in, in mercury or something come to find out really that was the the last straw so to speak for his body it wasn't as if that fish was overloaded with with mercury it's just that it hit his threshold of what his body could handle and looking back at his childhood he's like I lived next to an auto plant that was pushing heavy metals into the air uh, by burning stuff and doing whatever and it was a buildup from his whole life of really having heavy metal toxicity. So it's, it's fascinating how far you can trace it back. Now, another one that is very, very common that causes a whole bunch of disruption is, is antibiotics. And I know this is a tricky one too, because baby's got an ear infection. What are you going to do? The easy answer is here's some amoxicillin. Here's some low dose antibiotics. Let's, let's kick this. Let's make the baby happy. You do that maybe once and it's fine, but repetitively, all of a sudden now you start really damaging the gut uh, microbiome, but it's, I understand how and why parents get stuck in these cycles and kids are getting their guts destroyed because you want that quick fix and you don't want to feel terrible all the time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, the antibiotics conversation is very similar to the medications one and anything that's in that realm. It's a tricky one because antibiotics are life saving, And, uh, I learned my lesson the hard way, you know, when I was first on my journey and all I wanted to do was be super natural. I didn't want to, you know, I never, I actually preached drugs or, um, food and lifestyle versus drugs and medication. And I really believed that I would not need any drugs or medication. And so I lived like that. And I remember I actually got really sick. This was, um, maybe like 2009, 2010, I got real sick. And I knew that it was bacterial, you know, because antibiotics only help bacterial infections. They don't help viruses. I knew that it was though. And I kept fighting it, kept fighting it until I just started throwing up at home. My husband was like, you should probably just go in to see if it's like something that you need a, a, antibiotic. I went in and I did, I had strep and they gave me the antibiotic. And because I hadn't taken antibiotics in years, it literally worked in like five hours. The next day I almost felt a hundred percent. And I think that that's something that's really important is that if you are, you know, chronically taking antibiotics, they lose their effectiveness regardless. And I think about growing, like growing up when we were growing up, Yeah. Doctors handed it out like candy, Yeah, you know, and the thing is though, it was only effective for the bacterial infections. And how many times do we have a virus, but we're so afraid of it. We we feel so miserable or our parents felt miserable for us. So they're like, just give me the medication, just give me the antibiotics so I can feel better. But then you take it and you just naturally feel better. If it's a virus, what like a week or two later, and you think it works. And so the the cycle just continues to happen, but antibiotics have gotten so smart over time. And so now they're becoming resistant. And so we're taking more it's, it's like you, you personally, along with your doctor have to stop that cycle and you have to know when it's truly needed. And when it's not my friend, Katie, uh, she's wellness mama. She, I, I absolutely adore her, but she has six children. I don't know how she's done this. Wow! She has six kids and not one of them has ever taken an antibiotic. She discussed it on my podcast and I'm always like, how does that even work? You know what I mean? Like, There's something to that. I mean, I'm definitely not, I'm not there and I'm, but I'm somewhere in the middle, but I do think that we are definitely like far over medicated with antibiotics.
0: So are there for the parents out there that obviously sometimes you don't have a choice, you know, it's, um, it's what's going to give your kid the best relief and nobody wants to see their kid in pain and, and suffering. So again, I'm with you. It's absolutely needed in certain situations. I, I do think that we over prescribe and I think th- that sometimes there are parents that, that rush to the antibiotics because, oh, oh, the baby's got like a little bit of a cough or a little bit of a sore throat or something. And they automatically go right to the antibiotics. If, if someone was to take antibiotics, especially for children, is should they take prebiotics and, and probiotics with it? Like does that has that been found to help in conjunction with that, just to kind of keep a little bit of balance going on?
1: That is actually one of my number one questions. I have a whole post on it. I feel like all the things you asked me, I'm like, oh, I actually have an entire post on that that you can read. (laughs) Um, Which
0: is perfect because everybody needs to go to your website, a gutsy girl.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's called uh, what to do after a course of antibiotics or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you are taking a lot of antibiotics, anything that you can do to help support your gut during and after is going to is going to help. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, doctors will tell you, well, I, I remember early on in my journey and I was taking a lot of antibiotics doctors, would I would say, just eat some yogurt along with it, you know, because yogurt is rich in probiotics. So in theory, that's great. But the point is then that in order to offset it, probiotics would be great to, to, to offset that obviously pro is the opposite of anti Also, there's uh, a lot of things that you can do that have probiotics and prebiotics. And so, you know, prebiotics really help feed probiotics, which are your beneficial bacteria. So obviously... The more beneficial we can crowd out the non-beneficial, um, a probiotic mixed with a prebiotic is a symbiotic. And so it's just really saying, you know, that they're working in conjunction and really helping to give you as much of the, the good guys as possible. And, um, yeah. So anytime you can do that with food or with supplement, I think it's, it's really helpful. And, and I'm sure your you know, doctor or practitioner will, will tell you the same thing.
0: Yeah. You know an, another one I have on my list that uh, I think a lot of parents and you know just people in general probably don't realize that is, is kind of destroy, destroying their gut microbiome is is anti-inflammatories you know the the advils the the Aleves, uh the prescription stuff you know I myself you know it was my issues were sort of connected with all the prescription antibiotics that I was taking as a football player you know we sort of we just sort of live off of those things, and it's one of those things you don't really think about too much because it's just a pill you take once a day, and it makes you feel like you can go out there and perform, and everybody else is kind of doing it, but year after year, um, you know, taking injections of Tordal before games, all of that stuff, you know, kind of slowly, again, accumulates over time and, you know, leads to chronic disease and illness.
1: Yes, NCIDs are definitely inflammatory and I'm not sure what your experience is like. Obviously I'm guessing you took some form if not many forms of painkillers during your time playing football. But if you recall, um, NSAIDs and painkillers, both can leave you very constipated. That's one of the reasons why they do have such a negative effect on gut health. Not, you know, not only because they are inflammatory, but because they leave you constipated. And whenever you're constipated, obviously what's happening, you're not eliminating the things that should be eliminated. So I just, I could tell you so many stories about being on painkillers and, and having those problems and that, that just really compounds everything else.
0: Yeah. So I I suppose if we're talking about things that you can take together, you know, antibiotics, you want to take pro and prebiotics and create this, this symbiotic um, kind of, kind of side uh, prescription of yourself to, to kind of repopulate the, what the antibiotics are doing. Same thing for anti-inflammatories, you know, Take is there you should probably a drink drink more and put more fluids in your in your gut, but do something so you aren't constipated and so you don't build up that toxicity in your in your rectum and large intestine.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really big into all the things to help prevent constipation. Obviously, fiber is probably the biggest thing that has been, you know, scientifically proven, researched time and time again. In the United States, it is recommended, I think, 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day, which is so low compared to a lot of other places. The Hazda people is it the Hazda tribe was studied in Africa. They had over 100 grams of fiber a day, just like from roughage, and they are like some of the healthiest people in the world. And in, in America, like we're Literally lucky to get 10 grams a day, which is absolutely crazy. But that is one of the number one ways to really help. And, you know, I I always get asked this question like, okay, so fiber is really a lot of vegetables, but I don't like vegetables. They're gross. And And the thing is, I can even get my kids to eat any kind of vegetables. It's the way that you prepare them. I mean, if you stick Brussels sprouts in the microwave and just start eating them, that's disgusting. No one's going to want that, especially not my kids. But if you, you know, chop them up finely and you toss them with olive oil and salt, and then you bake them and they're like Brussels sprout chips, like kale chips, so good. My kids would eat an entire pan of them. They have no idea, you know? Um, So really like getting more fiber is super important. And then just like anti-inflammatory foods in general. I mean, you know, like salmon, blueberries, coffee, (laughs) which is such a no-no food, but coffee is anti-inflammatory, can be. Um, Just berries in general, fruits, vegetables, vegetables, it's really very simple it's just not easy
0: (laughs) right right yeah and and especially when you're when you're talking about feeding kids and i know my kids you know we've done the whole uh trickery thing where we (laughs) bake bake the veggies in something or we just kind of toss it in something and they don't they don't know what it is but you know that does get taxing too and it takes some forethought and you take some pre-planning on just far as far as lunch and dinner and it is work for mom and dad um but if they see a vegetable just outright, just, hey, here's sliced up green peppers or red peppers, yellow pepper. No, they won't eat it. Not a chance. But you, know, you dice it up and you, uh, you, you sort of make it softer and, and you put it in something, they have no problem. But um, it, it is something that sounds so simple. It's like, okay, we know. We know that fruits and vegetables are healthy for you. But how many, how many parents are out there hiding the vegetables for their kids and meals? Not many. Not many at all. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of adults that won't even eat vegetables themselves.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, most adults won't eat vegetables themselves. I could rattle off any people that won't. Um, uh, yeah. I've, I'm with you though. I've never really been into the trickery of putting it into my kids stuff because I don't want them to then become adults and, and see vegetable and be like, I don't really know what that is. And mm-hmm. I don't really like that. You know, there's all these kids shows that will show a vegetable and they'll be like yucky. And it's like, no, let's stop doing that. Cause they, it doesn't have to be gross. Um, it's all in how you prepare it. Like, I don't, I don't want to eat bland, gross food either, you know, and there's nothing wrong with when you're eating, um, you know, a very healthy quote unquote healthy diet with including butter or olive oil or coconut oil, you know, all of those things, avocado, like fat is, has just been so demonized and it's actually it's great. It's great for gut health. It's great for everything. I believe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned coffee and coffee is a big one for me as much as that I try to do. I try to do these little breaks of coffee and I just, I just can't bring myself to it. I can, I can eliminate a lot of things from my diet and be very disciplined, but coffee is one of those things where, I know I should probably take a month off and just not do it, but I can't because I love it. So I'm so happy you told me that it's actually can be beneficial for you and for, in your gut health.
1: It's the joy of coffee. I love coffee so much too. Um, so here's the thing with coffee. There's a couple things. One is if you are sensitive to acid or caffeine or a combination of the two, coffee might not be your best friend. But even if that were the case, you can always really highly dilute it. So you could just do like half a cup of coffee mixed with half a cup of, you know, whatever kind of alternative milk or whatever kind of milk or whatever you want to use. Um, The other thing too, that I, I like to talk a lot about with coffee is strategically adding things to it that are almost gut healing. So you know how we were just talking about the whole vegetable thing, hiding it into foods. I do that all the time with things like coffee, smoothies, juices, oatmeals, whatever it is for my kids. And I will strategically add in gut healthy or gut healing things. And I do this with coffee. This is, um, I love to do it with lattes uh, because I love lattes and mm-hmm. you know I believe that their coffee is great for us. So I'll add in things like L-glutamine, Collagen, um, just anything really that I can add to oatmeal or smoothie. You can put into coffee too. So it's kind of a little hack that I have to be able to, you know, enjoy coffee and and still pretend that you're, you know, doing something so healthy for yourself, <laughs> um, but still able to, you know, um, be healing or be healthy.
0: Yeah. So you you bring bring up an interesting topic of. Let's suppose that there's a listener or many listeners out there that that say, "Well, I don't feel like I have any anything that is misdiagnosed or any sort of ailment, but I do think that I could I could be on this road of just having better healthy gut decisions in my daily life." Like what are what are some things that people can implement just in their daily lives? just to slowly maybe undo some of these things that we've, we've been, uh, you know, throwing our bodies, some of these toxins, maybe some of these things that we don't even know about. And it's like, I just want to clean up a little bit, clean up my gut health, you know, make some better choices. What are some things that people can just do at home?
1: Yeah. So very simple things would be adding in some of these gut boosters, like the L-glutamine, um, which is just a white powder. Actually, a lot of athletes love using it because it also has, um, implications for gaining lean muscle, Uh, adding in things like collagen, taking the probiotic. Um, You don't have to be on antibiotics in order to take a probiotic and to benefit from it. What you have to know with the probiotic is you have to understand what exactly is in the probiotic that you're taking and and how it's going to benefit you versus the population as a whole there's a article on my site all about probiotic strains versus species and you could you can read that and really try to see you know what how you might be feeling and what strains and species might be more conducive for you personally Um, you can also, one thing that I, that I say, I mean, I've talked about fiber before, but I like to talk about adding things in versus taking a lot of things out. But the one thing that I do think everyone benefits from taking out is processed food in general. And believe me, I have processed food every single day. I'm the same as everybody else. All I'm saying is to add more in so that you can't have as much of that. Um, just because hopefully, you know you won't be as, as hungry for it. But processed food really is made up of usually just so many ingredients. And when you can't say them, the idea is that your body also can't recognize them. And also it's a lot harder than to identify what actually might be affecting you. So if you just cut the processed food, I, I don't even think that people in the beginning need to cut Entire groups of foods. You know, if you're just feeling a little bit off, I think it's much better to just cut processed foods and to see how that that change alone makes you feel. Um, sleeping. If you can get any extra sleep, it can change your life in a week or less. Uh, I actually hate that quote. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I hate it yeah, because yeah. it's it's been researched like to no end that sleep contributes to a longer life. So I think that that's something really easy. And then really just, I think, understanding more about your life and your situation and your stress levels. And for a lot of people, especially people that are probably listening right now, like reconsider like your job, your extracurricular activities, like the things that that make you happy, that bring your stress down versus the things that are raising the levels, because all of that really plays into how you feel in your gut and, you know, your immune system in general on a day-to-day basis. You
0: know, it's so interesting that you talk about sleep. You know, I, look, I love Dwayne Johnson as much as everybody else. Like I, I follow the mm-hmm. rock. I think everything that he does is relatively, you know, gold, right? i can't stand this idea that he is like hashtag team no sleep up at 4am and the iron paradise paradise i'm like man would you shut up Like <laughs> you can't possibly think that you want us to all believe that you're up every day at 4 a. M., 4 a.m pumping iron doing this stuff and if you are that is such a horrible message to send there are so many Young people out there, they think that the only way I can conquer the world and be successful is if I get three to four hours of sleep, I burn it hard from both ends, and I train like the rock. That is not how you do it. It just isn't. I don't know how he's doing it. I have my suspicions about how he's doing it. I don't think that it's natural, but get sleep, people. Do not be on the team. Hashtag team no sleep. It's no bueno.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually naturally wake up at four thirty, five thirty, single day, but I go to bed really too. so I don't think it's necessarily when you have to go to bed or when you have to wake up, but you just have to get your sleep. And so, and I know that going to bed at night is so challenging for so many people because of this, that, and the other. I mean, even these these glasses, you can see me right now. Everyone else can't, but I wear these all the time when it's, you know, even several hours before I'm gonna to go to bed because I want to block blue light. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's there's so many things that go into falling asleep at night. But if you can really get down your sleep habits, it it could really it can really help.
0: Yeah. And and I think that is the thing. I don't care if you go to you get up at four or four thirty, but most people are going to bed around 10 o'clock if they're getting up that early he's making it sound like an instagram he's got one shot where he's finishing up a a, a movie shot at like one in the morning and then the next post is like 4 a.m getting after i'm like come on dude like you're you got three hours of sleep max and you're in the gym hitting it hard i just i just don't believe it Glorifying
1: uh, the hustle.
0: I know he's, he definitely is glorifying the hustle, but I think it's to the detriment of he, and he is 99% of the time all for health and wellness. Uh, I just think that that, that's a little misconstruing, uh, to him or from him. Um, one of the last things I want to talk to you about, and we've kind of, we've kind of alluded to it a little bit here and there is, is the idea of giving your gut some rest. And there's a lot of research on time-restricted eating, uh, intermittent fasting, you know, how important in, in your knowledge and what you've learned, is it to give your gut a rest from just processing foods, whether they're whole foods or processed foods?
1: Personally, in my experiences, uh, practicing intermittent fasting and meal spacing, which are different things drastically helped my stomach feel better and my days get better. So I, when I first started practicing intermittent fasting, it was the final time that I healed from SIBO. So it was in 2018. And for the longest time I resisted it because I was like, no, when I get up at four in the morning, I'm starving. I'm probably going to eat a whole breakfast and get on with my day. There's no way I could ever do this, but the research was there for SIBO in specific, I mean, and for a lot of other things, but for me at the time, that the longer we could rest, the more our bodies were just focusing and digesting. And I wasn't and, and it and the SIBO was able to kind of quote unquote starve itself out. Right. So I did, I started practicing and I told myself all you had to do was do it a couple times a week, at least for 12 to 14 hours and see how it goes. And what started happening was I noticed that even if I would do it for 12 to 13 hours, I felt great those days, the days that I wasn't fasting longer, I could run into problems early on in the day. And so then I started practicing it more and more and more. And today I do it seven days a week. I mean, if, if I have a slip up here and there or whatever, no big deal, but I Just in in general, I do it seven days a week, but in addition, I also practice meal spacing. So people always are like, okay, if you do intermittent fasting and meal spacing, how do you even eat? Like when do you eat? How do you eat enough? It's no problem at all. So I don't, I don't do 16 hour fasts. There's a lot of research on both sides of the coin for women and fasting that long. So a lot of, a lot of the idea is that women in childbearing ages should stick to more of like the 12 to 14 hours, just like for hormonal purposes. I know there's research on the other side as well, but for me personally, I found that 12 to 14 hours was perfect. Mm -hmm. So I stayed there. And so like, let's say I get done eating at, I eat early at night because I have three small children. So we get done eating by 6 PM. So that means that by 8 a.m. the next day, I can eat because it's already been 14 hours and I don't want to go much past that. So I'll eat at 8 a.m. And every meal that I eat, instead of snacking all day long and interrupting migrating motor complex, that cycle that basically sweeps through the digestive system and kind of like, yeah, just think of it like a sweep it clears through everything. Instead of interrupting that process, I just let my system be. So I'll eat. Decent amount at eight, and then I will at least give myself usually three to four hours. They say the MMC runs every 90 to 120 minutes, but they say then if you're practicing meal spacing appropriately, you do wait three to four hours. So I wait three to four hours, and then I'll eat enough again. Like it's just a matter of eating enough so that you're not starving and you don't think you need to grab something every hour and a half. So I went from a huge snacking life to a bulk meal like very satiating and that's it.
0: Yeah. And I think that that even from an anecdotal um, standpoint with myself, when I practice the, the time restricted eating where you're doing the 14 to 16 hours between meals, there's a point where if I say I'm going to have my first meal of the day at 11 or 12 o'clock in the morning, you know, 11 in the morning, 12, 12 12 o'clock noon, There might be a time at like eight o'clock where I'm like, I got a little bit of hunger pains or something. But if I once I push past, it's maybe 30 minutes that that window from 830 to noon is my most productive, my most alert and my most mentally sharp hours that I have throughout the whole day. And I and and I don't think that that's just me making up. I really think it's my body just processing like, all right. We don't have to concentrate on your gut. We don't have to concentrate on breaking down food. We can now send that energy to what the task that you're doing right now, whether it's a physical task, a mental task, and I feel great. And then what, what ends up happening is then I have lunch and then I get sleepy. <laughs> and, then I, and then I'm like, uh-huh. I feel, yep. then I feel that a little bit of that crash of like, okay, body's sending energy to, to digest. I feel a little less sharp in the afternoon. And then it picks up again and kind of get that second wave before dinner. Um, I, I think that there is absolutely uh, some merit to it. And I would encourage anybody to, to start practicing and even, even maybe practice. And I know that you take the stance of uh, or have the perspective from a a woman and and the hormones, but I'll even do a 24 hour fast. And, and I think that feels good too, just to kind of like refresh, like once a week, just don't eat, you know, maybe coffee and water and that's it. And, and I feel amazing after doing that as well.
1: Yeah. With people that have severe gut issues, that actually works. And if I ever relapsed from SIBO again, I would be doing more of an elemental diet, which does include a lot more of that no eating just because I know all the benefits of it now. And, um, and yeah, you're right. It's just, there, there, there are a lot of benefits for a 24 hour fast too.
0: Yeah. Well, Sarah, we have covered quite a lot and, um, you know, I, I, I can't thank you enough for being on here. Your 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 journey and your story I think is is definitely worth telling and and it's amazing to 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 watch you and to hear your story and how it's sort of refocused your whole life's journey. You know, you took this sort of bad negative energy that you've had for a decade and then you reached a moment in your life where you said that's enough. I'm done and you forged a new course in your life and you're super successful at this new venture. And, and I just want to say, congratulations, um, good luck going forward. Let's, let's stay in touch and and thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. I, I do believe that it's my, my life's mission. It's my passion and it's, it's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing is making sure that no one else has, if they have to take a decade to feel (laughs) right. To feel good, like you're supposed to feel every single day.
0: Yeah. So everybody, it's a gutsy girl on all social channels and gutsygirl.com. And and Sarah, what what is coming up on your website and your podcast that uh, people should know about?
1: Yeah, I mean, we publish a new podcast episode every other week. It's always focused around the gut. There's nothing else beyond that. It's always um, you have doctors. I have microbiologists. And I try to get you know as many um, well-researched people as possible I also love telling um, sharing other people's stories and journeys on the podcast um, I'm working on creating an online course for people who are out there googling okay where do I start how do I start because it's it's such a oh, it's, it can be such a mess and, I, and since I've it took me so long to untangle it. I just really want to help people not have to go through that. So I'm working on that. And also the, um, a gutsy girls Bible book will be out pretty soon. So yeah, I'm just working on a lot of fun things and, and I would love to connect with anyone.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, thanks again. And, um, say hi to the family and, uh, mm-hmm. we'll be, we'll be looking for all the great stuff coming out of a Thanks, Ben. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Well, I can't thank Sarah enough. You know, behind the scenes, everybody, there was uh, some, some technical issues, which was totally my fault and a little bit embarrassing. But, you know, Sarah was a trooper. Uh, she, she changed her schedule to make this podcast all work on, on multiple occasions. So I can't thank her enough for her, her generosity and her time and her story. I hope you guys found that her story uh, was as impactful as I did and the reason why I reached out to her, I think it's a really important message to get out there that gut health does matter, and and not to take anything away from traditional medicine, but they just aren't schooled in some of the things that the functional medicine and integrative medicine uh, really really focuses on, and they're, they're true experts on. So if you're somebody out there that you know I don't know maybe is going through the same thing that that I went through or that she went through, and you feel like you throw you want to throw your hands up in the air and. And you get frustrated with the answers that maybe you don't get, you know, there is another path. There's another way to to hopefully look at what is going on with your your health and wellness, possibly your gut issues. So again, reach out to her at a gutsy girl and a gutsygirl.com. I want to thank my sponsors, as always. I have to thank Preview Medica. You know, we, this is a, a whole podcast based off of health and wellness, and Preview Medica has been there for me as well with the all Cat food sensitivity test. Uh, you can find that at PreviewMedica.com. Use the promo code BEN-20 for 20% off your order at Preview Medica. I also want to thank Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Uh, it is a Minnesota-made, grain-to-glass, tremendously rich Tasting Bold Bourbon. It's award-winning gold medal bourbon uh, made right from the great state of Minnesota, distributed across the country. Just find a nearest liquor store closest to you. Go to Douglas And again, I want to thank all of you listeners. Thank you guys so much. You guys support this podcast every week. It's growing every week. The interest is there, and I just love that uh, the word is getting out. So please, please keep giving me feedback. I love hearing what you guys have to say about this podcast and how I can make changes and what we can improve. And and also, if there are guests out there that you think that would be perfect for this podcast, please reach out. You can reach out either in the, in the feedback. Uh, go to my website, benlieber.com, which is currently in redevelopment, but you can still get the to me through the contact icon there at benlieber.com. Uh, reach out to me. If there's a guest out there that you want to want to hear from or you think is interesting, uh, I'd love to hear it. So I appreciate you guys. Appreciate the sponsors. Please like this, this podcast. Leave some feedback. Rate this podcast. Would love the five-star rating. And uh, and that's it. Hope you guys have a great week. I'll talk to you guys on the next one. See ya. Bye.